Book Two, Chapter Nineteen of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Nineteen. Pilate sends the Jews with Jesus and their accusations to Herod, where they advance their charges. Herod treats Jesus with contempt and sends him back to Pilate. Mary follows the Savior other happenings in connection. One of the accusations of the Jews and the priests before Pilate was that Jesus our Savior had begun to stir up the people by his preaching in the province of Galilee. Luke chapter 23 verse 6. This caused Pilate to inquire whether he was a Galilean, and as they told him that Jesus was born and raised in that country, he thought this circumstance useful for the solution of his difficulties in regard to Jesus and for escaping the molestations of the Jews, who so urgently demanded his death. Herod was at that time in Jerusalem, celebrating the Pasch of the Jews. He was the son of the first Herod, who had murdered the innocents to procure the death of Jesus soon after his birth. Matthew chapter 2 verse 16 this murderer had become a proselyte of the Jews at the time of his marriage with a Jewish woman. On this account, his son Herod likewise observed the law of Moses, and he had come to Jerusalem from Galilee, of which he was governor. Pilate was at enmity with Herod, for the two governed the two principal provinces of Palestine, namely Judea and Galilee, and a short time before it had happened that Pilate, in his zeal for the supremacy of the Roman Empire, had murdered some Galileans during a public function in the temple, mixing the blood of the insurgents with that of the holy sacrifices. Herod was highly incensed at this sacrilege, and Pilate, in order to afford him some satisfaction, without much trouble to himself, resolved to send to him Christ the Lord to be examined and judged as one of the subjects of Herod's sway. Pilate also expected that Herod would set Jesus free as being innocent and a victim of the malice and envy of the priests and scribes. Christ our Lord therefore went forth from the house of Pilate to the palace of Herod, being still bound and chained as before, and accompanied by the scribes and priests as his accusers. There was also a large number of soldiers and servants who dragged him along by the ropes and cleared the streets which had been filled with multitudes of people to see the spectacle. The military broke their way through the crowds, and as the servants and priests were thirsting so eagerly for the blood of the Savior and wished to shed it on this very day, they hastened with the Lord through the streets, nearly on a run, and with great tumult. Mary also set forth from the house of Pilate with her company in order to follow her sweetest son Jesus and accompany him on the ways, which he was still to go until his death on the cross. It would not have been possible for the lady to follow her beloved closely enough to be in his sight if she had not ordered her holy angels to open a way for her. They made it possible for her to be constantly near her son so that she could enjoy his presence, though that also brought with it only a fuller participation in all torments and sorrows. She obtained the fulfillment of all her wishes, for walking along through the streets near the Savior, she saw and heard the insults of the servants, the blows they dealt him, the reproaches of the people, expressed either as their own or repeated from hearsay. 
When Herod was informed that Pilate would send Jesus of Nazareth to him, he was highly pleased. He knew that Jesus was a great friend of John the Baptist, whom he had ordered to be put to death. Mark chapter 6 verse 27 And had heard many reports of his preaching. In vain and foolish curiosity, he harbored the desire of seeing Jesus do something new and extraordinary for his entertainment and wonder. Luke chapter 23 verse 8 The author of life, therefore, came into the presence of the murderer Herod, against whom the blood of the Baptist was calling more loudly to this same Lord for vengeance than in its time the blood of Abel. Genesis chapter 4 verse 10 but the unhappy adulterer, ignorant of the terrible judgment of the Almighty, received him with loud laughter as an enchanter and conjurer. In this dreadful misconception, he commenced to examine and question him, persuaded that he could thereby induce him to work some miracle to satisfy his curiosity. But the master of wisdom and prudence, standing with a humble reserve before his most unworthy judge, answered him not a word. For on account of his evil doing, he well merited the punishment of not hearing the words of life, which he would certainly have heard if he had been disposed to listen to them with reverence. The princes and priests of the Jews stood around, continually rehearsing the same accusations and charges which they had advanced in the presence of Pilate. But the Lord maintained silence also in regard to these calumnies, much to the disappointment of Herod. In his presence, the Lord would not open his lips, neither in order to answer his questions, nor in order to refute the accusations. Herod was altogether unworthy of hearing the truth, this being his greatest punishment, and the punishment most to be dreaded by all the princes and the powerful of this earth. Herod was much put out by the silence and meekness of our Savior, and was much disappointed in his vain curiosity. But the unjust judge tried to hide his confusion by mocking and ridiculing the innocent master with his whole cohort of soldiers and ordering him to be sent back to Pilate. Having made fun of the reserve of the Lord, the servants of Herod joined in treating him as a fool and as one deficient in mind, and they clothed him in a white garment in order to mark him as insane and to be avoided as dangerous. But by the hidden providence of the Most High, this dress signified the purity and innocence of the Savior, and these ministers of wickedness were thus unwittingly giving testimony of the truth, which they were trying to obscure in deriding the miraculous power of the Lord. Herod showed himself thankful to Pilate for the courtesy of sending Jesus of Nazareth to be judged before his tribunal. He informed Pilate, that he found no cause in him, but held him to be an ignorant man of no consequence whatever. By the secret judgments of divine wisdom, Herod and Pilate were reconciled on that day, and thenceforward remained friends. Conducted by many soldiers, both of Herod and Pilate, amid a still greater concourse, tumult and excitement of the people, Jesus returned from Herod to Pilate. For the very ones who had some time before, hailed and venerated him as the Savior and Messiah, blessed of the Lord. Matthew chapter 21 verse 9. Now perverted by the priests and magistrates had changed their minds, and they despised and condemned the same Lord, whom they had so shortly before reverenced and glorified. For of such influence is usually the erroneous example of the chiefs in misleading the people. 
In the midst of all this confusion and ignominy, the Lord passed along, repeating within himself, in unspeakable love, humility, and patience, those words, which he had long before spoken by the mouth of David. I am a worm and no man, the reproach of men and the outcast of people. All they that saw me have laughed me to scorn. They have spoken with their lips and wagged the head. Psalm 21 verse 7. The Lord was a worm and no man, not only because he was not engendered like the rest of men, and because he was not merely and solely a man, being true God and man, but also because he was not treated like a man, but like a wretched and despised worm. Amid all the scorn with which he was overwhelmed and trodden underfoot, he made no more outcry than a humble wormlet, which is despised and crushed as a most vile and despicable creature. All the innumerable multitudes that saw our Redeemer spoke of him with wagging heads, as if retracting their previous conception and opinion of this prophet of Nazareth. Although his afflicted mother was made interiorly aware of all that happened, she was not present in body when the priests advanced their insulting accusations before Herod, and when he sputtered forth his questions to the author of life. She remained outside of the hall of judgment, whither they had taken the Lord. But when he came forth from the hall, she met him, and they looked upon each other in reciprocal sorrow of their souls, such as corresponded to the love between such a son and mother. The sight of the white vestment, by which they proclaimed him fit to be treated only as an insane fool, pierced her heart with new sorrow, though she alone, of all mankind, recognized the mystery of his purity and innocence, indicated by this vestment. She adored him in it with deepest reverence, and followed him through the streets back to the house of Pilate. For in this house was to be executed the divine decree for our salvation." On this way from Herod to Pilate, it happened that on account of the crush of the people and on account of the haste, they tripped him up and threw him on the ground several times. By their cruel pulling at the ropes with which he was bound, they caused the blood to flow from his sacred veins. His hands being tied, he could not easily help himself to rise from his falls. Therefore the multitudes of the people who followed and who were neither able nor cared to stop in their onward rush stepped upon the divine Lord, treading him underfoot and kicking him. The blows and wounds he thus received, instead of stirring the compassion of the soldiers, only excited them to loud laughter, for instigated by the demons, they had become devoid of all human compassion, no less than so many wild beasts. At the sight of such unmeasurable cruelty, the most sorrowful and loving mother was moved to deepest compassion, and turning to her holy angels, she commanded them to gather up the divine blood, in order that it might not be trod upon and dishonored by the feet of sinners. This the heavenly servants willingly fulfilled. She commanded also, that if her divine son should again fall to the earth, they hasten to his assistance and prevent these evil doers from injuring and stepping on his most sacred body. But she was the most prudent of all mortals. She did not wish them to execute her command unless it met the approval of the Lord, and therefore she urged them to make this proposal themselves and ask his permission, representing to him at the same time her anguish as his mother in seeing him thus irreverently subjected to the feet of sinners. In order to so much the sooner move the Lord to grant this petition, she begged him through the holy angels that he commute this humiliation of being trod upon 
and crushed by the rabble into an act of obedience in complying with the petition of his afflicted mother, who at the same time acknowledged herself as his slave and formed of the dust. All these petitions of his blessed mother, the angels presented to the Lord Christ in her name, not that he was ignorant of them, since he knew all things, and was himself the instigator of them through his divine grace, but the Lord desires in all these matters a regard for the due process of reason. The great lady was aware of this desire, and in her most exalted wisdom, practiced virtues in diverse ways and by diverse activities, unimpeded by the foreknowledge of the Lord concerning all things. Our Savior Jesus yielded to the desire and petitions of his most blessed mother, and gave the angels permission to execute her requests as her ministers. During the rest of the passage to the house of Pilate, they would not permit the Lord to be tripped, or cast to the ground, or to be stepped upon by the crowd, as had happened before. But in regard to other injuries, he allowed the stupid wrath and blind malice of the servants of the law and of the populace to vent themselves freely and fully upon his divine person. His most holy mother heard and saw all with an unconquered but lacerated heart. In a proportionate manner, this was also witnessed by the other Marys and St. John, who with ceaseless tears followed the Lord in company with his purest mother. I do not stop to describe the sorrows of these and other pious women who attended upon the queen, because I would go too wide of my subject, especially if I were to describe the doings of Magdalene, most distinguished in her ardent love of Christ and most pleasing to the Savior. For to her we must apply what Christ himself said when he justified her, that those love most to whom the greater sins are forgiven. Luke chapter 7 verse 43. Pilate was again confronted with Jesus in his palace, and was bestormed anew by the Jews, to condemn him to the death of the cross. Convinced of the innocence of Christ, and of the mortal envy of the Jews, he was much put out at Herod's again referring the disagreeable decision to his own tribunal. Feeling himself obliged in his quality of judge to give this decision, he sought to placate the Jews in different ways, one of these was a private interview with some of the servants and friends of the high priests and priests. He urged them to prevail upon their masters and friends, not any more to ask for the release of the malefactor Barabbas, but instead demand the release of our Redeemer, and to be satisfied with some punishment he was willing to administer before setting him free. This measure Pilate had taken before they arrived a second time to press their demand for a sentence upon Jesus. The proposal to choose between freeing either Barabbas or Jesus was made to the Jews, not only once, but two or three times. The first time before sending him to Herod, and the second time after his return. This is related by the evangelists, with some variation, though not essentially contradicting the truth. Matthew chapter 27 verse 17. Pilate spoke to the Jews and said, you have brought this man before me, accusing him of perverting the people by his doctrines, and having examined him in your presence, I was not convinced of the truth of your accusations. And Herod, to whom I have sent him, and before whom you repeated your accusations, refused to condemn him to death. It will be sufficient to correct and chastise him for the present, in order that he may amend. As I am to release some malefactor for the feast of the Pasch, I will release Christ, if you will have him freed, and punish Barabbas. 
But the multitude of the Jews, thus informed how much Pilate desired to set Jesus free, shouted with one voice, Enough! Enough! Not Christ, but Barabbas deliver unto us! The custom of giving freedom to an imprisoned criminal at this great solemnity of the Pash was introduced by the Jews in grateful remembrance of the release of their forefathers from servitude by their passage through the Red Sea, when the Almighty freed them from the power of Pharaoh, by killing the firstborn children of the Egyptians, and afterwards annihilating him and his armies in the waters of the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 12 verse 29. In gratitude for this favor, the Jews always sought out the greatest malefactor and pardoned him his crimes, while they refused such clemency to those who were less guilty. In their treaties with the Romans, they expressly reserved this privilege, and the governors complied with it. But in the present instance, they failed to follow out in their demands what they were so loudly proclaiming in regard to Jesus. According to law, they were to demand the release of the greatest criminal, and this they proclaimed Jesus to be. Yet they persisted in demanding the punishment of Christ and the release of Barabbas, whom they judged less guilty. In such blindness and perversity had the wrath and envy of the demon cast them, that they lost the light of reason, even in their own affairs and against their own selves. While Pilate was thus disputing with the Jews in the Praetorium, his wife, Procula, happened to hear of his doings, and she sent him a message telling him, What hast thou to do with this man? Let him go free, for I warn thee that I have had this very day some visions in regard to him. This warning of Procula originated through the activity of Lucifer and his demons, for they, observing all that was happening in regard to the person of Christ, and the unchangeable patience with which he bore all injuries, were more and more confused and staggered in their rabid fury. Although the swollen pride of Lucifer could not explain how his divinity could ever subject itself to such great insults, nor how he could permit his body to suffer such ill treatment, and although he could not come to any certain conviction whether this Jesus was a God-man or not, Yet the dragon was persuaded that some great mystery was here transpiring among men, which would be the cause of great damage and defeat to him and his malice if he did not succeed in arresting its progress in the world. Having come to this conclusion with his demons, he many times suggested to the Pharisees the propriety of ceasing their persecutions of Christ. These suggestions, however, since they originated from malice and were void of any power for good, failed to move the obstinate and perverted hearts of the Jews. Despairing of success, the demons betook themselves to the wife of Pilate and spoke to her in dreams, representing to her that this man was just and without guilt, that if her husband should sentence him, he would be deprived of his rank and she herself would meet with great adversity. They urged her to advise Pilate to release Jesus and punish Barabbas if she did not wish to draw misfortune upon their house and their persons. Procula was filled with great fear and terror at these visions, and as soon as she heard what was passing between the Jews and her husband, she sent him the message, mentioned by St. Matthew, not to meddle with this man, nor condemn one to death, whom she held to be just. The demon also injected similar misgivings into the mind of Pilate, and these warnings of his wife only increased them. Yet as all his considerations rested upon worldly policy, and as he had not cooperated with the true helps given him by the Savior, all these fears retarded his unjust proceedings 
only so long as no other more powerful consideration arose, as will be seen in effect. But just now he began for the third time to argue, as St. Luke tells us, insisting upon the innocence of Christ our Lord, and that he found no crime in him, nor any guilt worthy of death, and therefore he would punish and then dismiss him. Luke chapter 23 verse 22. As we shall see in the next chapter, he did really punish Christ in order to see whether the Jews would be satisfied, but the Jews, on the contrary, demanded that Christ be crucified. Thereupon Pilate asked for water and released Barabbas. Then he washed his hands in the presence of all the people, saying, I have no share in the death of this just man whom you condemn. Look to yourselves in what you are doing, for I wash my hands in order that you may understand that they are not sullied in the blood of the innocent. Pilate thought that by this ceremony he could excuse himself entirely, and that he thereby could put his blame upon the princes of the Jews, and upon the people who demanded it. The wrath of the Jews was so blind and foolish, that for the satisfaction of seeing Jesus crucified, they entered upon this agreement with Pilate, and took upon themselves and upon their children the responsibility of this crime. Loudly proclaiming this terrible sentence and curse, they exclaimed, His blood come upon us and upon our children. Matthew chapter 27 verse 25 O oh, most foolish and cruel blindness! O oh, inconceivable rashness! The unjust condemnation of the just and the blood of the innocent, whom the judge himself is forced to proclaim guiltless, you wish to take upon yourselves and upon your children, in order that his blood may call out against you to the end of the world. O perfidious and sacrilegious Jews, so lightly then weighs the blood of the Lamb, who bears the sins of the world, and the life of a man who is at the same time God. How is it possible you wish to load with it yourselves and your children? If he had been only your brother, your benefactor and master, your audacity would have been tremendous, and your malice execrable. Justly, indeed, do you merit the punishment which you meet, and that the burden which you have put upon yourselves and your children allows you no rest or relief in all the world. It is just that this burden should rest upon you heavier than heaven and earth. But, alas, Though this divine blood was intended to wash and cleanse all the children of Adam, and though it was in effect poured out upon all the children of the Holy Church, yet there are many belonging to it who make themselves guilty of this blood by their works in the same manner as the Jews charged themselves with, both by word and deed. They did not know or believe that it was the blood of the Savior, while Catholics both know and confess that it is their Redeemer's. The sins and depraved lives of the Christians proclaim louder than tongues their abuse of the blood of Christ, and their consent to the guilt in his death which they load upon themselves. Let Christ be affronted, spit upon, buffeted, stretched upon a cross, despised. Let him yield to Barabbas and die. Let him be tormented, scourged, crowned with thorns for our sins. Let his blood interest us no more than that it flow copiously and be imputed to us for all eternity. Let the incarnate God suffer and die, if only we are left free to enjoy the apparent goods of this world, to seize the pleasing hour, to use creatures for our comfort, to be crowned with roses, live in joy. Let our power be unrefrained, let no one seek preference before us, be we permitted to despise humility, abhor poverty, hoard up riches, engage in all deceits, 
forgive no injuries, entertain the delights of carnal pleasures, let our eyes see nothing that they shall not covet. Such be our rule in life, without regard for aught else, and if by this we crucify Christ, let his blood come upon us and upon our children. Ask the damned in hell whether these were not the sentiments expressed in their works as described by Solomon, and whether it was not because they spoke thus foolishly in their hearts that they were called impious and were so in reality. What else except damnation can they expect who abuse the blood of Christ and waste it upon themselves, not as such who are seeking a remedy? Where do we find, among the children of the church, any one that would willingly permit a thief and malefactor to be preferred to him? So little is this doctrine of humility practiced, that one excites surprise if he allows another just as good and honorable as himself, or even more honorable, to take precedence. Though it is certain that no one can be found as good as Christ or as bad as Barabbas, Yet there are innumerable men who, in spite of this example, are offended and judge themselves disgraced, if they are not preferred and exalted by honors, riches, and dignities, and in whatever pertains to the ostentation and applause of the world. These are sought after, contended for, and solicited. In such things are consumed the thoughts and all the exertions and powers of men, almost from the time in which they can use their faculties until they lose them. The most lamentable misfortune is that even those who, by their profession and their state, have renounced and turned their backs upon such things, do not free themselves. While the Savior has commanded them to forget their people and the house of their parents. Psalm 44 verse 11. They devote to them the best part of their human existence by giving them their attention and solicitude in the direction of their affairs, their best wishes and care in the augmentation of their worldly goods. It seems but a small matter to them to engage themselves in these vanities. Instead of forgetting the house of their father, they forget the house of their God in which they live, and where they are divinely assisted to gain a salvation and honor and esteem never possible in the world, and where they receive their sustenance without any anxiety or worry. They show themselves ungrateful for all these benefits by drifting away from the humility due to their state. Thus the humility of Christ our Savior, his patience, his injuries, the dishonor of the cross, the imitation of Christ's work, the following of his doctrine, all is left to the poor, to the lonely ones, to the weak and humble of this world, while the ways of Sion are deserted and full of wailing, because there are so few who will come to the solemn feast of the imitation of Christ our Lord. Pilate was not conscious of the absurdity of his pretense, that to have washed his hands and to have charged the Jews with the blood of Christ was sufficient to clear him before his conscience and before men, for by this ceremony, so full of hypocrisy and deceit, he tried to satisfy both. It is true that the Jews were the principal actors and more guilty in the condemnation of the innocent God-man, and that they themselves expressly charged themselves with its guilt. But Pilate was not on that account free from it, since, knowing the innocence of Christ our Lord, he should not have allowed a thief and robber to be preferred before Christ, neither should he have chastised nor pretended to correct him, who showed nothing that could be corrected or amended. Luke chapter 23 verse 25. Much less should he have condemned and delivered him over to his mortal enemies, whose envy and cruelty was so evident. 
he is not a just judge who is aware of the truth and justice and places it in the balance with his own human respect and his own personal interest for such a course drags down the right reason of men who are so cowardly of heart since they do not possess the strength and perfection of mind necessary to a judge they cannot resist their greed or their human respect in their blind passions they forsake justice in order to endanger their temporal advantages as happened to pilate in the house of pilate through the ministry of the holy angels our queen was placed in such a position that she could hear the disputes of the iniquitous judge with the scribes and priests concerning the innocence of christ our savior and concerning the release of barabbas in preference to him all the clamors of these human tigers she heard in silence and admirable weakness as the living counterpart of her most holy son although she preserved the unchanging propriety and modesty of her exterior all the malicious words of the jews pierced her sorrowful heart like a two-edged sword but the voices of her unspoken sorrows resounded in the ears of the eternal father more pleasantly and sweetly than the lamentation of the beautiful rachel who as jeremiah says was beweeping her children because they cannot be restored jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15 our most beautiful rachel the purest mary sought not revenge but pardon for her enemies who were depriving her of the only begotten of the father and her only son she imitated all the actions of the most holy soul of christ and accompanied him in the works of most exalted holiness and perfection for neither could her torments hinder her charity nor her affliction diminish her fervor nor could the tumult distract her attention nor the outrageous injuries of the multitudes prevent her interior recollection under all circumstances she practiced the most exalted virtues in the most eminent degree instruction which the great mistress of heaven most blessed mary gave me my daughter in what thou hast written and understood i see thee astonished to find that pilate and herod exhibited less unkindness and cruelty in the death of my divine son than the priests high priests and pharisees and thou dwellest much upon the fact that those were secular and gentile judges while these were teachers of the law and priests of the people of israel professing the true faith in answer to thy thoughts i will remind thee of a doctrine not new which thou hast understood on former occasions but i wish that thou refresh it in thy mind and remember it for the rest of thy life know then my dearest that a fall from the highest position is extremely dangerous and the damage done is either irreparable or very difficult of redress lucifer held an imminent position in heaven as regards both natural gifts and gifts of grace for in beauty he excelled all the creatures and by his sin he fell to the deepest abyss of loathsomeness and misery and into a more hardened obstinacy than all his followers the first parents of the human race adam and eve were exalted to the highest dignity and raised to exquisite favor as coming forth from the hand of the almighty their fall caused perdition to themselves and to all their posterity and faith teaches what was the cost of their salvation to restore them and their posterity was the work of an infinite mercy many other souls have reached the heights of perfection and have thence fallen most unfortunately arriving at a state in which they almost despair or found themselves incapable of rising this sad state in the creature originates from many causes 
The first is the dismay and boundless confusion of one who feels that he has fallen from an exalted state of virtue, for he knows that he has not only lost great blessings, but he does not expect to obtain greater ones than those of the past and those he has lost. Nor does he promise himself more firmness in keeping those he can obtain through renewed efforts than he has shown in those acquired and now lost through his ingratitude. From this dangerous distrust originates lukewarmness, want of fervor and diligence, absence of zeal and devotion. Since diffidence extinguishes all these in the soul, just as the sprightliness of ardent hope overcomes many difficulties, strengthens and vivifies weak human creatures to undertake great works. Another obstacle there is, not less formidable, namely, the souls accustomed to the blessings of God, either through their office as the priests and religious, or by the exercise of virtues and the abundance of divine favors, as spiritual-minded persons, usually aggravate their sins by a certain contempt of these very blessings and a certain abuse of the divine things. For by the abundance of the divine favors, they fall into a dangerous dullness of mind. They begin to think little of the divine favors and become irreverent. Thus failing to cooperate with God's grace, they hinder its effects. They lose the grace of holy fear of the Lord, which arouses and stimulates the will to obey the divine commandments and to be alert in the avoidance of sin and pursuit of eternal life in the friendship of God. This is an evident danger for lukewarm priests who frequent the Holy Eucharist and other sacraments without fear and reverence, also for the learned and wise and the powerful of this world who so reluctantly correct and amend their lives. They have lost the appreciation and veneration of the remedial helps of the church, namely the sacraments, preaching, and instruction. Thus these medicines, which for other sinners are so salutary and counteract ignorance, weaken those who are the physicians of the spiritual life. There are other reasons for this kind of danger, which must be referred to the Lord himself, for the sins of those souls who, by their state or by their advanced virtues, are most closely bound to their God, are weighed in the balance of God's justice, in quite a different way, from the sins of those who have been less favored by his mercy. Although the sins of all are more or less essentially the same, yet the circumstances of sin are very different. For the priests and teachers, the powerful and the dignitaries, and those who, on account of their station or by reputation, are supposed to be advanced in a holy life, cause great scandal by their fall or by any sins they commit. There is much more of bold disrespect in their presumption and temerity against God, whom they know better and to whom they owe much more, but whom they offend with more deliberation and knowledge than the ignorant. Hence, as is evident from the tenor of all the holy scriptures, the sins of Catholics, and especially of those that are instructed and enlightened, are so displeasing to God. As the term of each man's life is preordained for each one, as the time in which he is to gain the eternal reward, so the measure or number of sins to be borne by the patience or forbearance of the Lord is likewise preordained. This measure of divine justice is determined not only by the number and quantity of the sins, but also by their quality and weight. Thus it may happen that in the souls favored by great enlightenment and graces of heaven, the grievousness supplies what is wanting in the number of the sins, and that with fewer sins they are forsaken sooner and chastised more severely than others with many more sins. Nor can all expect for themselves the same issue as David. 
Second Book of Kings, chapter 12, verse 13. And St. Peter, because not all of them have to their credit as many good actions to be remembered by the Lord. Besides the special privileges of some cannot be set up as a rule for all others, because, according to the secret judgments of the Lord, not all are destined for a special office. By this explanation, my dearest, thou wilt be able to satisfy thy doubts, and thou wilt understand what a bitter evil so many souls incur, whom the Almighty has redeemed by his blood, placed in the way of light and drawn toward himself, and how some persons can fall from a more exalted state into more perverse obstinacy than others below them in station. This truth is well illustrated in the mystery of my son's passion, in which the priests, scribes, and the whole people were much more indebted to their God than the heathens, who knew not of the true religion. I desire that this truth, as exhibited by their example, convince thee of this terrible danger, and excite in thee holy fear. And with this fear, join humble thanks, and an exalted esteem of the favors of the Lord. In the days of abundance, be not unmindful of the hour of want. Ecclesiasticus, chapter 13, verse 25. Ponder as well, the one as the other within thyself, and remember that thou carriest thy treasure in a fragile vessel, which thou canst easily lose. Second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 7. Know well that the reception of such blessings argues not merit, and the possession of them is not due to thee in justice, but comes to thee by liberality and kindness. That the Most High has favored thee with so much familiar intercourse is no assurance that thou canst not fall, and no license to live carelessly and without reverence and fear. All things happen to thee according to the number and greatness of thy blessings, for the wrath of the serpent has increased toward thee in proportion, and is more alert against thee than against other souls. He has become aware that the Most High has not been so liberally loving to men of many generations as toward thee, and if thou meet so many blessings and mercies with ingratitude, thou shalt be wretched and worthy of a rigorous punishment, against which thou canst make no objection. End of chapter 19